Hey, Hannah. Hey, Kate. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. What do you got today? Today, I have one of my favorites. Also, um, a drink that I think I could say has been introduced to me by you. Oh. Um, credit to Flattered. Kate. Um, <laughs> it's an Olipop, which is like a prebiotic, probiotic soda. I don't know how else you'd describe it. It's like a gut health soda. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're really good. Um, it's pretty tasty. I'll let you guys go look up all the things about it. But this one basically tastes like root beer. And it's maybe, I don't want to say it's good for you, but it's not so much maybe bad for you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's good for you, but it's. I would definitely say it's almost confidently that it's not bad for you. I would agree. Yeah. But it's tasty. It's really so tasty regardless. <laughs> yeah. And what do you have today? I have... Uh, Caramel hot chocolate element. Mm. A mm. classic. So good. A classic Kate warm drink. Yeah. Well, I needed it today after a tough leg workout. Mm. I'm not looking forward to that one. That one's on my docket. <laughs> yeah. Fun, but tough. <laughs> you ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Howdy, Howdy from, from Houston. Houston. I'm Kate. And I'm Hannah. And today we are going to share our favorite things that we've learned in the most recent block we finished, Introduction to Disease. Mm -hmm. So this course is kind of the foundations of disease as the title suggests. <laughs> the first half was about what happens within your body when things go wrong. So if you get sick or if, or if there's damage to your tissues, mm -hmm. how does your body respond? And then the second half of the course was what kinds of things might go into your body to cause things to go wrong. So the second right. half covered bacteria, viruses, fungi, and parasites. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So we're sharing some cool things we learned, which... You want to get us started with that? Yeah. What was your favorite thing? So something I thought was really interesting is something called hemostasis, which is what happens in your blood when there is trauma to your blood vessels. So mm. when you get a cut, what happens, basically? Good question. Um, and we all know about scabs and how you pick a scab, you get a scar and right. all that stuff. Um, but I thought it was really cool, all the details and all the little proteins that go into this, because if any of those proteins are there in excess or not enough of those proteins, then you could have a bleeding disorder or a clotting disorder, which... It's kind of crazy to me how many little things go together to make sure everything works perfectly. So when you go to cut, what happens? The first thing that happens with your blood vessels is they constrict to try to stop blood flow to that area so that you stop bleeding. That's mm -hmm. the initial reflex. Um, and you also have some factors that promote vasoconstriction. So constrict blood, constricted blood vessels is called vasoconstriction. Um, endothelin is one that's released from your endothelial cells and endothelial cells line the inside of blood vessels. Mm -hmm. So when those little blood vessels get damaged, endothelin is released and then a, a couple other things are released to help pr promote vasoconstriction, stop blood flow. The next thing that happens is a platelet plug starts to develop. So imagine having a hole and blood is gushing through it and then your body's like, we've got to plug the hole, we've got mm -hmm. to stop the bleeding. So the first thing that happens is um, platelets start to adhere to 
the collagen underneath your endothelial cells. So the collagen is exposed and that signals the body to produce a protein called von Willenbrand factor. Mm, von Willenbrand factor. <laughs> von Willenbrand factor. Um, and then glycoprotein 1B binds to von Willenbrand factor. So you can imagine it like it's just kind of stacking on top of each other. So you got von Willenbrand factor attaching the collagen and then glycoprotein 1B attaching on top of that. And then on top of that, you have your platelet. So that's all happening. Nice little like layered cake. Exactly. That's all happening on the collagen. After this happens and you got all your platelets adhered to the collagen, you have platelet activation. So it's kind of interesting. They are flowing through your blood vessels nice and round so that they can flow nicely down the river of blood. (laughs) Um, But when they bind, they become flat with spiky protrusions. So how I think of it is like a foam roller that's really spiky, but Mm. not in a foam roller shape. It's like a spherical shape. And it's just got all these little spikes everywhere. So this releases... Um, alpha granules and thromboxane A2, which thromboxane A2 is another vasoconstrictor, so that's even more helping kinking your... Kinking the hose. Yeah, kind of. kinking the hose, no more blood flow. Um, and a little side note here is aspirin targets this system. So aspirin, a lot of people will take aspirin if they have um, a risk of clotting, mm-hmm. and that's because aspirin inhibits thromboxane A2, which keeps which keeps the blood vessels dilated so mm-hmm. there's they're more open and your body is less likely to make blo- blood clots. Mm-hmm. So if you take aspirin or know someone who takes aspirin, that's where it's acting. Nice. Um, yeah. So then after this, so you have the platelets, they're attached, they're all activated, they're ready to go. And then next step is they aggregate. So then they this is when they bind together to form the clot. So when they initially bind, it's with um, a protein called glycoprotein 2A slash 3B, and that binds on top of the platelet, and on top of, and so each platelet has this. And then between these glycoproteins, you have fibrinogen. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different uh, little names. But between these proteins, you have fibrinogen. This fibrinogen is soluble, so this can be broken apart pretty easily. Mm. Yeah, the next step later is to turn it to fibrin, though, so that it's insoluble and that your body can't break it down and that your blood vessel and then skin and other tissue, they all have time to heal. So in this particular instance, some people have the glycoprotein 2... Sorry, I misspoke earlier. It's 2B slash 3A. Lots of little numbers (laughs) and letters. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, 1, 2, 3. Yeah. So some people have this glycoprotein, this particular glycoprotein deficiency, which is called glansman thrombocenia, and that causes bleeding. So if your platelets can't connect together, that's a whole condition that people have that is treated and you're at risk for just bleeding a lot from a small cut, which... Because you can't clot. Because you can't clot, which I think is interesting because... I feel like I scrape myself up all the time, especially growing up, you know, just running around and mm-hmm. falling, scraping my knee. Like, I've never had to worry about that. But yeah. some people, like, you don't you don't want to do that because <laughs> you don't know what could happen. But, again, there are, like, treatments for that. So 
thank, thankfully, modern medicine saves the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now we have a reversible plug. But the next step is it needs to be stabilized. So reversible because it's soluble. It's soluble because the fibrinogen is soluble. And so the next step is to make it stable by making fibrinogen fibrin. Exactly, yeah. Which is insoluble. Yes. Okay. And I'm not going to go into all the details of making fibrinogen fibrin, but basically there's a bunch of different factors that are activated by each other. Right. And things are cleaved. And then things are, things are rearranged, and and <laughs> by all this magic, then you get fibrinogen to fibrin, and then fibrin is really the glue that holds the clot together, mm. so that you have like a really firm, solid platelet plug. So that's the scab. Maybe after a few days, it's it's durable. Like mm-hmm. you can't pick at it as easily. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um. And a quick little interesting fact about this gluing process, it actually occurs differently in a lab than in the human body. So mm. when we try to replicate it and study it in the lab, you just have to be aware that of those differences. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting because the, it's interesting that we can't replicate everything in the human body outside of the human body. It just right. shows how special and magical it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when the clot is stabilized... The tissues are healing, and then now, eventually, you want the clot to go away, and so your body makes um, a couple of things that can destroy the clot. One is called TPA, which circulates in the blood, and actually, with stroke patients, you can give TPA if you're within an early window. I don't remember the exact window, but Mm -hmm. if you're within a really early window of having a stroke, and it's because of a blood clot, you can give the patient TPA, and it bust the blood clot great treatment yeah and it's something that your body already has circulating so that's kind of cool um and then there's your endothelial cells back to the cells lining the blood vessels those also secrete um and a protein called thrombomodulin to prevent clotting nice so basically if you don't pick out your scab, it will heal on its own and it will heal very nicely, <laughs> even though sometimes <laughs> it can be tempting. <laughs> um, so with all of this, the reason I wanted to go into a little more detail is because each of these details has a way to go wrong. So, for example, back when I was talking about von Willenbrand factor, well... Some people have von Willenbrand's disease, which means they have either a dysfunctional von Willenbrand factor Mm -hmm. or not enough is made. And so... And just a reminder, von Willenbrand factor is part of that layered cake. Oh, right, right, right. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So it's part of the layered cake. You have your initial damage to the endothelial cells. Again, those are the cells lining your blood vessels. Von Willenbrand factor is the one that attaches to the collagen underneath the endothelial cells to initiate the building of the cake. Right. So if people don't have enough of that or their protein is dysfunctional, then they're at an increased risk for bleeding. So that's a disease. You can also have just dysfunctional platelets, which can cause bleeding if they don't adhere right or they're not activated in the right way. And then the last one I wanted to mention, um, the less bleeding disorder, is when there are too few platelets in circulation, which, ca- which is a disease called thrombocytopenia, um, 
So again, no platelets to make the cl the plug to stop the bleeding. So you just like don't have enough materials to make the layered cake to begin with. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So I know that was a lot. <laughs> I wanted to share because I thought it was really interesting how many different things go into it. Mm -hmm. And especially something that seems so simple from the outside, you know, we've been getting scabs since as early as we can remember of falling down and scraping our knee. And just like you mentioned, and it's way more of a complex process than you would believe. Yeah, exactly. So if you didn't remember all of the little details that I mentioned, that's totally fine. I more mentioned them to illustrate the complexity. <laughs> Which I think you did. <laughs> yeah. So that's mine. But Hannah, what did you find most interesting? Um, well, mine will be slightly more brief <laughs> than your description. Um, I was definitely much more interested, I think, in the second half of the course, uh, learning about all the bacteria and the viruses and the fungi and all the things that could enter your body and cause a problem, um, specifically learning about viruses. I remember learning from, I don't know, maybe back in like high school or just having this piece of knowledge that, oh yeah, viruses are not a living thing. They are not alive. But I didn't really understand why they weren't alive, especially considering everything that we hear about viruses being something that sounds like it's alive. You know, you hear about how it gets infected and it spreads and it moves around and it replicates and it sounds like something like bacteria or a parasite. You know, it sounds like something that could be living. Right. But in fact, it is not. Um, and some of the reasons why it's not alive, there are just some def like defining features about viruses that make them not living. So one of those things being its general composition. In general, now we can go into more detail about this, but in general, a virus is just some genetic material. So imagine like a little ball of yarn um, of genetic material. And that's like DNA, RNA, those kinds of things. And it's surrounded by a coat, a protein coat. So it's a little ball of yarn in a little protein bag. That's what a virus is. <laughs> and, and that is very different from what is required to be considered a living thing. So that would be like bacteria or a single cell organism of some sort. So the function that a virus carries out does not meet the same requirements of living things. So it doesn't have the ability to produce its own energy. It can't maintain homeostasis and it can't, one of the big ones is it can't replicate without a host cell. So it needs a living thing to continue to spread and wreak havoc. It can't do it by itself. Um, and this is different than a cell needing outside factors to stay alive, like oxygen or glucose or something like that. A virus needs an entire other living organism to replicate. Right. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that was helpful to actually learn, like, why is a virus not alive? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and Which then, means it, it can't die. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like the next dilemma was, okay, well, if a virus is never alive, how do you quote unquote kill it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. How do you treat viruses or viral infections? Because um, it, it's going to be very different from treating bacteria or fungi or something like that. Because as living organisms, you know, we have, I think, an understanding of what death is, you know, and if you're treating something that's living, you know, there are all these 
similarities of okay well if it kills this bacteria or this this treatment would kill this bacteria this treatment would probably also kill this fungi this treatment would also probably kill this thing because they're all living you know you're just cutting out the requirements or the the necessary functions to live right a virus doesn't have those necessary functions it doesn't have those processes or those organelles or whatever it is doesn't have that to target to kill it so how do you kill it right yeah (laughs) so one of the treatments for some types of viruses uh, is called acyclovir. Now, this drug might sound kind of familiar because it is a drug that's used to treat herpes viruses. So that's a whole class of viruses. And that probably sounds familiar, herpes virus. A lot of us have heard of virus herpes, but it's it's more than just the stereotypical you know genital herpes. It goes beyond that to um, herpes simplex virus one, which is cold sores. A lot of people get those on their lips or their nose during times of stress or whatnot. Um, the, uh, shingles disease is also a type of herpes virus. So shingles being kind of the the adult version of chicken pox. Is kind yeah, of how it's chicken pox is herpes. Chicken pox is also herpes virus. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, yeah, so there are a lot of viruses within the family of herpes viruses. And acyclovir is a drug that is used to treat this family of viruses. Now in different viruses, you know, maybe it's more applicable and effective than with other types of viruses within the family, but it is one of the drugs used to target this type of virus. And I was really interested with how acyclovir targets these cells. Um, Because again, going back to how do you kill a virus if it's not alive? So the way that viruses proliferate, which I don't even know if that'd be the right word because proliferate. Replicate? Yeah, replicate, I guess. The way that they spread from cell to cell, a big part of it has to do with replication of their genetic material. Mm. So the way to kill a virus is to stop that process. So you got to stop the replication of DNA or stop the you know, process of the RNA, all of that. So targeting the genetic material. So acyclovir enters a cell and when it enters the cell, it is in its inactive form, meaning it's not effective. It just enters a cell, it can't do anything. But when it's in a cell that has thymidine kinase, which is a type of protein, uh, thymidine kinase can activate acyclovir so that it can be effective in stopping DNA polymerase, which is the part part of the replication of DNA. So acyclovir enters a cell, can't do anything, it's inactive. Thymidine kinase comes along, turns it on, turns on the acyclovir, and now acyclovir can do its job and stop replication of DNA in that cell. But the really cool thing is thymidine kinase is a protein that's only produced by infected cells. Mm. So thymidine kinase is not present in healthy cells. Meaning acyclovir could enter a healthy cell, a perfectly normal cell without a virus in it. And like I said, it's inactive when it enters the cell. And since there's no thymidine kinase there, because there's no virus there, it's never going to turn on. So it's not going to cause any damage to the cell. It's not going to stop the healthy DNA polymerase that's there. It's not going to cause any damage. So it's really only killing these virally infected cells, which is why it's a pretty safe, low risk drug to administer. So I guess like in a scenario where a patient might be at risk for this, for like a herpes virus or something that um, acyclovir could help treat, it's a low risk thing to give to the patient. Like nothing, it's not necessarily that something bad would happen if they don't have the herpes virus and acyclovir is administered, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's really cool too, because it's, especially 
thinking about um, a lot of new research, like this is where my mind first goes, thinking about a lot of new research for cancer therapies, mm-hmm. they're trying to target specifically cancer cells, and that is really hard right. with all the millions <laughs> or... I don't know, lots of different types of cancers out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's millions, but definitely a lot. But to have something that's so definitive of, oh, thymidine kinase only exists in the virally infected cells, so why not just have a drug that targets that specific protein? And the protein turns that drug on, and there you go. Right. And that's, I think, like a key part in a lot of research surrounding whether it's cancer or other types of viruses is not... Before you can even figure out how to treat whatever the pathogen is, mm-hmm. you got to start with just the basics of like, well, what's unique about this pathogen? What's unique about this problem? Right. So what's unique about herpes simplex virus or herpes yeah. viruses? It's thymidine kinase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very so interesting. I, I thought it was super, super cool to learn about that. Um, especially since, like I said, you know, herpes virus is something that is well-known for yeah relatively well-known you know so I think a lot of people have heard of the drug acyclovir like that was something that popped up for me I mean I've definitely heard of that as like a drug for cold sores mm-hmm. and be like oh interesting so that's how it operates very cool like I love the mechanistic side of all of the medicine that we've been learning yeah me too it's very interesting and especially something like this it's very yeah so id was definitely a cool course it was a long course it was it was, it was um eight weeks eight weeks nine weeks something, yeah, like, something that. like that it was long <laughs> yeah it was very long but we learned a lot and thankful to be moving forward yeah looking yeah. to uh cardiovascular coming up next yep <laughs> all right thanks for listening catch you next time